live from the kingdom of Nyxcastia. This is Phantropological. Today we're talking about LARP. Hello everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Phanthropological, the show where we take a fan's eye view and give you the scoop on a fandom that you may or may not even be aware of. Today we're talking about LARPing, that is live action role playing, and with me as always are my co-hosts, G. Crushing 2, gotcha. <laughs> and T. I think this is the second time I get to say, I'm a wizard. (laughs) (laughs) And joining us for this episode is a very special guest expert, scholar, poet, musician, and LARP apologist, Luke Maynard. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks for joining us, Luke. So normally I would dive into a definition, which today is sourced from Wikipedia. So I would much rather, if uh, you're up to it, Luke, defer to your expertise and and tell what LARPing has been like in your experience. Okay, um, yeah, uh, LARPing is, I mean, Wikipedia will tell you, the abbreviation is for <laughs> live-action role-playing, and that means different things to different people, and I'm finding it also means different things regionally. Um, there are two very sort of classic stereotypes. Uh, one is the what I would call the foam buffer LARP, which is seems to be very popular in Ontario. There's a couple of really big groups out here. Um, Underworld is one, uh, Shadow Realms out of Whitby, I think is another, and it's, you know, a lot of cases it's largely medieval fantasy D&D style live action role playing where they have, you know, safetyed up foam weapons and they run around in wilderness settings hitting each other with weapons and it's, uh, there's a, like, they will go and do a whole weekend of this stuff. And the other sort of classic, um example has been sort of the model that um white wolf put forward when vampire the masquerade became a big interconnected world larping event and that was uh i mean the mechanics of the game are different there was no contact it was i guess a much more social game in a sense um all of the mechanics were usually socialed out and then there's this wonderful trend right now in Scandinavia, places like Norway and Sweden, where they're really sort of pushing the boundaries of what creative storytelling is. And I have no idea, like, I have no idea how I would define what LARP is out there because there's so many different attempts at pushing the boundaries of genre and figuring out how it works, I guess. Um, that was a fantastic definition, by the way. And a great example of the fact that when you look into the abyss, the abyss also looks back into you. Because, well, like, you know, approaching this, it's like, oh, it's D&D with people, right? That's like, that's the way I think of it, and probably a lot of people think of it, and just like, a lot of what I, a lot of what I saw and read and, uh, and researched was just like people, people wailing on each other with weapons. <laughs> Because, yeah. uh, you know, a global TV did a, did a piece on it. And that, that was, you know, the main focus. Because people were like, what? People actually people actually do this? It's like a Civil War reenactment, but with fantasy? But, like, I was thinking as I was reading it, 
and and you describe that that such that there is an appetite for such things of like LARPs where where fighting is not uh not not the focus not the concentration you can still use you can still use you know experience and like character building and all that but it doesn't have to be quite so combat based yeah i think a lot of it comes out of the D tradition which is to say a lot of larping is still um like high fantasy based you know there's orcs and there's goblins and there's wizards and all the rest in a very sort of tolkien style derivative <laughs> setting but i think that um people are people are pushing it in in new directions and i think that as the the question of who does this thing gets um, answered with a more diverse answer, um, the question of why do people come to this thing um, is also has more answers than it used to have. It used to be sort of just the logical extension of D and D. Um, now I know it's a thing that um, improv actors do to keep up their improv skills. It's a thing that mm. um, a lot of people who are outstanding costume designers do just to have a place to that's you know socially acceptable if you build a victorian ball gown you don't have that many places <laughs> to do anything with it <laughs> yeah that actually reminds me I, I made a little note of this and this is kind of like this is like kind of the cul-de-sac this is like kind of a collection of all the different stuff that we usually cover on this podcast. It has costuming, it has prop making, it has character creation, it has world building, it has stats, it has rules, it has socialization, <laughs> it has community, and it's and it's a very active thing. Yeah. It's got it all, baby. <laughs> What's interesting is you get people that have different um different interests and they either try to find a LARP that caters specifically to those interests or they build a character within that LARP and contribute to that LARP in a way that that brings out what they want out of the experience. You will get a lot of people that go to combat-heavy LARPs um, or LARPs that are an extension of a D&D tabletop game because they are dudes who like to see if their math can beat out another guy's math. <laughs> <laughs> they like to build math on paper and they like to make their math fight other people's math. And that's a perfectly valid thing. Um, that you can get in a LARP the same as you can in a tabletop game. And yeah. it's still only one dimension. Especially like the uh, the heavily social games where there's combat mechanics built into the game. But there's the, the sense that if you come down to using the mechanics, if you get into a situation where you need to start calling for roles or adjudication of any kind, that's somewhere that your character didn't want to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I found it interesting doing the research kind of related to that, that there was such a diversity in the different play styles. Um, as, as you mentioned, the buffer weapons, the foam weapons seem to be fairly prevalent in a lot of the research that I came across. Um, I also found out that there are some types of LARPing that are more practically oriented. So if you can't do it, your character can't, which seems really cool from an immersion perspective, because if you have to pick a lock, then you literally would need to pick a lock. Um, and in the article I was reading, they referenced the SCA and how many people would deny that that's even LARPing at all, mm-hmm. but also that there was more tabletop style. Um, they mentioned Mind's Eye Theater, um, and that that style is very, it can be more safe and flexible and accessible, and that there are some that are story only, which I assume is more of your, your Masquerade and your White Wolf kind of things. Yeah, I think the strength of Masquerade and White Wolf is that because it's all mechanically based like there's 
um, if you are five foot nothing and 102 pounds and you want to play a combat character, you can do it in a way that no matter how you get around it in a wilderness setting with big foam weapons, you're not going to be the guy with the greatsword. It's, uh, there, there's a physical intimidation factor and there are different systems that are better or worse at um, overcoming um, the physicality of your own body or your own capabilities. And there are other systems that sort of basically take that as part of the experience. That is a good point. I don't want to kind of use that to talk about um, character creation in LARP. Sure. Go for it. Because um, when I was watching some videos, I saw people talking about creating their characters. And I, I got both the perspective of it's like the character like reflects me, but like turned up to 11 kind of thing. Like it's, it's, it's me, but like in, in that heightened sort of setting. Right. Yeah. So it like, it, it exemplifies kind of what I, how I would test my metal in that situation. And at the same time, lots of people are always saying, I love being a character that is not like me at all, because then I get to do all these things that quote, I wouldn't normally do. Of course you are doing them just as a character in a LARP, but people also, also like it as a way to experience something that, that like personality wise that they wouldn't normally experience as themselves. So I thought that both of those were interesting in that, and in that people are kind of looking at themselves in the way they make a character, whether it's similar to them or not. Hmm. I think it's um, with character design. Again, it's a question of what you bring and what you want. There are people whose inner actor uh, revels at the chance to be a chameleon. Uh, there are people that lose patience very quickly and in a LARP setting will build sort of revolving door characters that come and go so that they can continue to try out different concepts and, you know, push themselves. Um, they will develop, a, you know, characters that are from different places and times and, uh, like, explore the whole cultural experience of being that person in a way. And that in some ways, it's a really educational experience to try and do justice to a character that is foreign to yourself and in other cases um, there are people that I mean sometimes LARP is just a form of wish fulfillment for some people and it's tempting to be someone who is kind of like you but also a wizard <laughs> yeah I mean I mean that's the fantasy right it's just like it, it, you know I would be a wizard or I'd be a dashing rogue mm -hmm. or I would be I'd be the hero Right, it's, yeah. I could, I could, I could see the temptation coming at it from a uh, a storytelling perspective because I've worked as a, a storyteller for so many years. Uh, part of the fun is in building all of these characters, building um, NPCs, non-player characters that are like dimensional and have a certain life to them. And I've probably the biggest team I ever worked with was for a group of I think between forty and fifty players, um, and there for that number um my friend matt who has run a a larp for probably a decade or more um said the magic number is seven if you have more than seven players you need a second narrator or storyteller or an assistant on the sort of direction team and if you have more than 14 you need a like one person per seven players is usually the right number interesting and developing npcs it was interesting handing them off to um different narrators um, to play those characters um, based on, you know, who can do that character justice. And over a long period of time, it was really interesting watching, um, you know, 
occasionally somebody would be in sick and somebody else would have to sort of sub in and play that character for a really pivotal story scene. And watching NPCs work like that, it's really interesting because it's almost like you're thinking of these things in terms of recasting a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like an ongoing movie or show or something. And then not like you you bring the character into life. You can write for the character. Other people can write for the character. And multiple people might play the character. What I find really interesting in fandom right now is all of these, the rise of what I would call ensemble cast shows. Things like Game of Thrones, where you can ask, <laughs> you know, who is the protagonist? And you think you uh. think somebody is the protagonist, and then they get knifed, and then they're not <laughs> after a season and a half, and they're not the protagonist anymore. And that really captures to me uh, one of the great challenges of building and running a LARP, which is that everyone who plays a character in that game, in some senses, usually wants to feel like a star. And from the, the perspective of that player, they're the main character in a story, and everyone else is playing a, a supporting character in a various position on the periphery. But from the perspective of that character, they are the star. And it's interesting to try and give that like you get such an, a rich story experience um, and you will, after a game is over, ask one person, you know, so so what was this about to you? And someone will say, um, it was about all this fighting I did and I, I killed this guy and I killed that guy. <laughs> and you'll ask someone else and she will say, um, it's about, you know, daughters mending their relationship with their fathers. Um, and that happened mm-hmm. when this guy died. And someone else will just say, I totally killed that guy. It was amazing. (laughs) Uh, And someone else will say, "Um, I had this great concept. I wanted to see how far I could push it. And I found out how far I could push it. And then this daughter character killed me. And that was where I figured out that's where the mechanical failure is in being that kind of, you know, whatever it is that I was doing. Um, There's the flaw in the evil scheme that I had run. And so all of these (laughs) things intersect in a way that is interesting to the, each person involved, but you will never get the same answer from two different people on what the story is about because the camera is on a different person for each player. Well, that's something that you can really do if you're writing a story by yourself, right? I, I I think you're right. It's a, uh, we're used to linear narratives, even with television, Mm -hmm. even with, um, film and with novels especially we're used to starting a story at the beginning going through to the end and having sort of one continuous thread like it's very hard and it's very frustrating a lot of people that find really rewarding experiences in LARP or in any kind of role-playing lots of people try to write you know stories about their characters and they for the most part fall flat on their faces nobody ever reads those stories even though it's really interesting to you to tell great stories about how awesome your character is. Uh, For the most part, um, the narratives that come out of role-playing aren't very successful because the demands of a novel are different. The demands of fiction are different than the demands of the kind of storytelling that happens live from multiple perspectives. You never, when you're writing a character by yourself, have to be like, oh, crap, I got to backtrack now and figure out what else this character would do because this isn't going to work anymore because that guy's dead now. Like, if it's, if it's planned out, you don't have to adjust for things. You just kind of have it all have it all set out as one long narrative. Yeah. But a lot of things can, can throw off your story that you did not plan on in LARPing. And in the worst case scenario for writing, 
you go back and you change it and you re you overwrite what didn't work and that that luxury gives you a better story and in larp sometimes because there's you know there can be in a group i've seen 40 or 50 people chugging along in the story and one of the hardest things to do is to retcon to have retroactive continuity fixes um the one thing you never want to do is have a scene that you know goes so badly or the rules get misinterpreted so badly that you have to rewrite something major because once everybody has like you can get fairly emotionally involved in a story that has the death of a character or things have gone on a certain way and that skews the story in a direction and even if um, that gets rewritten it's hard to wind back the story you can't go back like if you decide i shouldn't have killed that character in a book you can go back and rewrite the chapter it's really hard to ask f that many people to just imagine okay last week didn't happen here's what happened let's try to go on with it as if this is what happened and it's really hard to um, wrangle that many imaginations yeah, well, I, I would think that that has something to do with sort of uh, with the immersiveness of LARPing because you're you're inventing this character and then the storytellers are giving you this world and you're immersed in it. And then it would it's like slamming on the brakes if you try to retcon something, I imagine. And kind of like if the engine of a train were to slam on the brakes, all the cars behind it would crash into each other. In my mind, it seems to, to be a, a similar effect. Some people are fairly good at it, but the more people are involved, the harder it is to do. Mm -hmm. And also the more time that has passed between what you need to change. Uh, because it's like it's like a time stream, right? There's an infinite number of time streams in the story. And mm -hmm. it's the farther back you go to rewrite something, the more difficult it is to figure out uh, what really happened, what didn't happen, what converse, how conversations would have changed. When I describe this story, I, I describe it in terms of what was interesting about it to me. But I would ask players, you know, and they would be interested in something that I, I threw away because I had to keep them busy <laughs> for 40 minutes while I did something else. Yeah, so it kind of goes back to the whole idea that you were talking about earlier where every individual player is the star of their own story. Yeah, and when you have other players involved... Um, I can throw them something boring that I think is boring, and they will make uh, an interesting experience of, about out of it. If they have, they'll make an interesting experience out of it if they have good characters mm -hmm. and if the game is healthy. Like there's, um, I, I've been in games that aren't healthy for whatever reason where um, characters just aren't working or there have been other games where there's you know interpersonal drama between players for whatever reason uh some people find very great success you know becoming socially well adjusted through through the, the this performance of characters and other times that is not the case yeah i've one of the videos i found was was by vice and it was called um larping saved my life it was about a kid uh jonathan gallagher who had Asperger's and had a hard time socializing and, and uh, all that and was quite lonely and then found LARP and found an expression for him to like, like he was really into the stat part of it and like, and like building character. You could see him practicing his, his swings and strikes and stabs 
in the backyard. He talked about getting a circle of friends, you know, having common interest, learning like organization and leadership skills and problem solving, <laughs> which he used to then get a job. Oh, wow. Cool. So, it was, so it was, it was neat to see how the, you know, the application of love, <laughs> they interviewed his parents and his, his, his mom was like, I don't really understand LARPing, but it seems to make him really happy and has improved in life a lot. So it's a good thing. One thing that LARPing has sort of given me is the ability to empathize, particularly having to build NPCs, non-player characters on the fly. Oh, wow. Um, and, you know, start thinking about, you know, who is... Um, the first thing I ever did was not as a, you know, a lead storyteller of this big team. Mm -hmm. It was as this assistant narrator for someone else that was running the big story. And my job was to turn every extra into somebody that, you know, was fleshed out. Um, if some people rob a bank and some security guard gets knifed in the process, he wasn't just, you know, eight hit points worth of security guard. He was a guy. And my job was to, you know, uh, the newspaper that week would run a story about, you know, the people doing a, uh, you know, a, a food drive for this guy's family or something. Just yeah. to, you know, really twist the, the players and make them feel bad <laughs> for what they did. But... Um, so it's it's hard for me, like it's hard for anyone to talk about what other people get out of a game, but I I think I I've heard of the story that you're telling, and it makes perfect sense to me that people, especially with anxiety disorders or anyone on the autism spectrum, um, it's perfectly makes perfect sense to me that it's um, a way to sort of start out um, a social relationship. In, from the safety of mechanics, because you're building a character, mm -hmm. and you get all of these rules, and you get all of these safe numbers, and then you get the ability to go out and be social around other human beings, which, to an extent, everybody needs, but from the safety of this persona, who has the ability to talk to people when you don't. And what's really interesting is sometimes people build characters that are based on, you know, themselves. The easiest thing is to say, I'm me, but a wizard. <laughs> but, um, and that's the expectation. But what a lot of people sometimes do without even thinking about it is they are building aspirational characters. And so, yes, that's me, but a wizard because it's wish fulfillment. Mm -hmm. But it's also me as a suave carn artist. It's me with the ability to um, be socially slick. It's me with the ability to be alluring. Um, there, there are people with, you know, self-image problems that, you know, will build the uh, 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 the bombshell sex symbol because it's your chance to wear the clothing that you would never wear. It's your chance to experiment with a side of yourself that you feel is um, not something that you're confident in. And there's a certain amount of, you know, fake it till you make it with these characters that people find confidence people find the ability to talk to others um someone who is incredibly meek who wants to play this blowhard bully character suddenly has to find a way to perform something that is unnatural to them and it's interesting to watch people explore things that they want about themselves not just in terms of i want to have a strength of 18 and a sort of ogre slang <laughs> but um, I want to be able to say no to people. Um, like these little human social things come out so much more often in LARP than in a tabletop role-playing setting. Mm -hmm. And that leads me to something else that I want to talk about. Ooh. 
because <laughs> there's a lot of um, people finding strength in characters or being able to let another piece of themselves out or kind of, I don't know, put aside who they really are and act as someone else for a while in, in wish fulfillment or like, you know, to strengthen their own selves in a way they didn't think they had. Because a lot of the times, you know, you'll go for a whole weekend and except in, in mitigating circumstances, uh, people are usually in character for the entire time. Mm-hmm. And that idea actually terrifies me. <laughs> like the, the, the opportunity for character building is like, like tantalizing, right? Like spend a whole weekend, like just doing things that you would do in character, sitting around a campfire, telling stories. Someone mentioned playing never had a, never have I ever as a group of characters, which I think would be amazing. <laughs> but at the same time, if everyone's, if everyone's in character and I'm also in character, I would, sl- I would feel slightly lonely because I'm, I can't, I'm not really connecting with people. I mean, I am, but in another way, I'm not, maybe if I did it, I'd, I'd, I'd change my mind on it. But like, I don't, if someone tried to attack me in my sleep, I'd start, start crying. Yeah, I think that's a, a much different kind of role-playing than the kind I'm used to, which, has, like, mm-hmm. the model that I did for the most number of years was every Sunday night, you would go around 6.30, you would all meet up, there was an out-of-character room where you'd bring all your stuff, um, you would spend your XP for the week, you would go into the game area and go into character, and it would go for most of the night, and then game would get called, you would give... Uh, votes to players for you know who you thought made your night extra memorable whether it was for good reasons or bad usually it was the people that really screwed with you that you hated in character <laughs> that you'd be like that guy gets a vote because the villains always get more votes than the heroes um <laughs> and then everybody would go for pizza and that was yeah. um okay so there was a social element i think there's if you're playing a character for a full weekend there's a question of what is healthy for you to sustain for a whole weekend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The character in that situation, who is me but a wizard, is um, in a sense easier to maintain uh, than the character that is a murderous <laughs> sociopath. Um, which, in a, you know, especially when I'm doing NPCs and I might be doing four or five of them in a night, um, it's fun to drop into that space for a very short period of time, like for a movie. Um, Robert De Niro can put on 50 pounds to play Raging Bull. Um, but what if you tell him they're going to do a series? you got to keep that weight on because we're going to go for nine seasons. Um, and and so both physically and um, mentally, emotionally, I think depending on the situation of the game, uh, that has a lot to do with what you can and can't play. And I think that if I were building a character... Uh, for a, a game that ran once a month for a full weekend that I didn't get to jump out of character, uh, the requirements would be different. Mm-hmm. You'd have to write in a slightly more comfortable way, a little little bit closer to you, I think, but not so close that it's like, are you, are you still in character, man? <laughs> but at the same time, there's a lot of a lot of advice on staying in character because it's a, it's a concern. And people often mention, like, if you make a character with an accent... You will always remember when you're in character because <laughs> you immediately have to adopt that accent or, or do a little tick, a little like, like weird, weird head nod or, or, or hand movement or something that gets you back in there. It's similar to, to how voice actors will say they have their line that snaps them into, into doing a voice for a character. Yeah. 
people find different ways to sort of zero themselves in a character. And again, you get this wide spectrum of uh, people that go for really challenging acting choices. And mm -hmm. kind of like any actor, uh, there are there are perform like people will just you know wreck themselves in one way or another to get a great performance. And um, sometimes it's uh, I mean sometimes it's admirable, but sometimes you uh, you know you worry to the, about the the extent to which somebody you know will go with this character. But for the most part, it's it's cathartic. Um, like people that um, build characters not necessarily on wish fulfillment, but based on you know something. I mean, I mean, there's a degree of self of sort of self medication in you know the aspects of your personality that you put into all of these characters, because every character is in some way a part of you, a a facet of you that comes into that character that stands out a little bit more than other facets of you. And especially when you have to play characters that are villainous in some kind of nature, they never think in a perfect world. They never think they're the villain. They're always someone that... Mm -hmm. um, and you just have to find the little switch that stands between you and being that horrible person and asking yourself, you know, what would cause you to turn that off? Yeah, that was one of the things that I came across was actually a uh, a master's thesis um, written about LARPing and um, basically how it's about sort of taking these images of specifically the medieval world and people bringing them into their lives through LARPing. And um, one of the one of the points that the the student brought up was that idea that you know these characters can be on the one hand helpful because they can act as, uh, as a means of self-discovery but at the same time they can also be a little bit dangerous because if your character is maybe too immersed in the fantasy it can become kind of a, a schizophrenic situation yeah it depends how far you you go with it said so LARP, LARP yeah. is possibly the most like the most immersive way to role play I can't imagine a more immersive way to role play where it's I mean it is theater but yes. there's no stage and your audience is all the other actors. Yeah. I think Luke, you might've mentioned this at the beginning, kind of the, the Nordic style of, of, um, of LARPing. Did anybody come across this? Uh, what is it called? Art LARP? I... Art LARP. Art LARP. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't come across anything called Art LARP, but uh, when I was reading a bit into Nordic LARPing, it sounded like it was, well, the article itself, um, a, in brackets very brief history of larp part one this is a game part one um part it's not, one it's not that part. brief there's a very long article <laughs> <laughs> anyway um they were talking about nordic larping and they compared it to uh literature whereas buffer larping they compared to pulp fiction interesting because their point was that buffer larping is like a, an escape People let's, do it. let's get let's get the battles going. Yeah, exactly, exactly. People create an avatar and they and then they sort of escape into it for whatever reason, whether it's to get out of their mundane lives or to discover some aspect of themselves, or as we were talking about before, to um, build up social skills or confidence, um, some aspect of themselves that themselves that they might feel needs some work. Whereas Nordic LARPing was more literary i suppose you could say 
um, because, according to this article, it was a LARPing style that looked more inward and sort of took an emotion and was more about live-action role-playing that emotion. I mean, one of the examples they used was this, this game called Ground Zero, where the participants LARPed as um, sole survivors of a Cold War-era uh, nuclear war. Mm. And they're in this bunker, and that's the setting for the game. Whoa. I think what happens in LARPs is I think of the uh, the cave from The Empire Strikes Back. What is in the cave mm. is what you take with you. And um, what is in the LARP is what you expect to find in the LARP. Um, in North America, I mean, it's got such a, a sort of basement-dwelling fantasy <laughs> gamer stigma to it, right? Yeah. But I don't think Boffer LARPs have to be any different from the Norwegian art LARP except that people go in expecting to find, you know, a cross between, uh, a, a cross between like, you know, SCA style heavy combat plus World of Warcraft players, right? I think that yeah. um, that is what you expect to find and it's what you're more likely to find. In part, that's just what we've done with the fantasy genre is we've made it kind of a pulp genre. Um, mm -hmm. It's what we've done to an extent with our our supernatural vampire horror game. And so it's a slightly different flavor. But again, you go into that and, and you get what you expect to find. And so what I find really interesting now is the ways in which a really unusual setting will um, trigger someone's imagination in a way to say, you know, this doesn't have to be um, like the D&D game I played when I was 12. <laughs> uh, what else might LARP be? And so a setting like that would challenge the mind in different ways. I would love to run something like a uh, a 1930s pulp adventure, um, you know, King Solomon's Mind style oh, wow. of, of LARP, in, where it's not about who has amazing powers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because at first blush, just doing a bit of a search for Ontario LARPs, um, they seem to be fantasy, steampunk, or fantasy and steampunk. <laughs> and as you're talking there like like there are lots of like different situations or little uh little settings little times and places you could you could stick larps into in, in various settings as long as you have people willing to do it there was an interesting one i was reading about it's somewhere on the east coast of the u.s i wish i remember the article that i got it from but they were talking about uh, a style of LARP where they do it in a dystopian future. And what was interesting about it wasn't that it was a dystopian future, because we've seen a lot of dystopias now. Uh, but what they would do is they would make the place that they're in a dystopia. So it wasn't about, like, imagine this is a castle. Because they would take, like, a ruined shack or a ruined barn, and it was just part of the setting. They would just make the area that they're in more dystopian. That was part of the appeal for me um, of the World of Darkness setting was that it was based in the real world. And, you know, you could drive down, you know, you could drive down the street in a city you played in for years and say, my character used to own that building. <laughs> um, when I think of storytelling, I think of what I would call the Amazon effect. And what I mean by that is there's two big industries in uh, Brazil. There's the 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 farming industry the livestock the raising beef and there's the tourism industry and because the tourism industry is so big 
they're limited under law in terms of how close to the the river they're allowed to clear cut to build their ranches and it's something absurd like 50 feet um and so you will get these big strips of brazil that are 50 feet of lush green rainforest off the river which is enough to to be impenetrable to the eye and then 400 miles of clear cutting behind it oh, so oh. that you can go up the river on a little boat and feel like you're in the middle of the Amazon jungle <laughs> and no you're not there's a McDonald's farm 50 <laughs> feet that way and the one of the dangers of um a, of an inflexible larp or a larp that that isn't being run well and it's the thing that makes it hard for me now to play like a console video game is that sense of that Amazon effect that, that if you walk off the trail 50 feet, there's nothing over there. Um, and what's really exciting in a LARP setting is when you do that, when you go off the game path and you have a storytelling team that will work on the fly with you, um, that you know occasionally someone would go off the, the track onto where the map wasn't and we had to put something there. And... You know, so you do the best you can coming up with it on the fly. And then when you have a storytelling meeting at the end of the night, you sit down and you say with your team, okay, so these guys went off and they did this thing. And here's what I had to build in order to, you know, put that over there. How do we now make that true? Because that now has to be true because they've seen it. And like there's that responsiveness in a game is to me a very big part of what makes any kind of social gaming, tabletop gaming, but especially LARPing, uh, more interesting than the hard-coded computer game RPG because you can solve any problem any way you can think of laterally. And the the room for problem-solving, for creativity there, um, is so different from um, the straightforward game where you advance in the game <laughs> by reducing things to zero hit points. Well, when you're LARPing, you have to yes-and everything. <laughs> it's just a giant improv, isn't it? You have to yes-and nature if a tree falls down, and so on and so forth. To a certain extent, and I'm, part of what I like about the uh, the sort of the Scandinavian style of sort of art LARPing is that there's much more collaboration in that sense. Uh, I get the feeling that their players are much more involved in the direction of the story. Um, but to a certain extent, uh, the game master or the storyteller or whatever you call them is just sort of the arbiter of the laws of physics um if you try something and it goes badly for you um it, it, it's their job to you know give you the same smack that doing something foolish in real life would would bring on mm -hmm. you and there's an organic there's a pleasure like when you're sitting around a table and you're the dm um everything that goes between players and you um, you tell a player something, and there's no mystery to it. There's no uh, that you're they're getting all of their information from you. When you're dealing with a big group of people, you can put something into one character's ear, and it trust that it will eventually get to the right person. And it feels so organic when they discover things that way. When they hear from another character that. Um, something they care about has been threatened or um, something that they've been looking for for months or centuries, as the case may be, has turned up. And when they get it from 
someone in charge, when they get it from a game master, it feels like you're getting handed, you know, you're getting handed a plot item, and you now have to accept the quest, and you now have to go do the thing. But when you get it from another player or from someone who feels like a supporting actor, it it feels organic. It feels, um, it doesn't feel like you're getting, you know, a quest icon. It feels like this is all just part of the world, mm-hmm. and it's your character's it's your character who would be interested in it, not, you know, here's a thing that you should be interested in. That's really cool, and it really makes it sound like the immersiveness and the shared storytelling go hand in hand. Like, if something goes wrong, um, or if some part of the system doesn't quite work, then the immersion doesn't have to break, because you can just write a story around it, which is really cool. A lot of the the flexibility of LARP is in... Maybe not even just saying yes and, but in rolling with things that um, are unexpected. Yeah. Um, and that comes from both players and uh, and storytellers. Um, the danger with, uh, I mean, especially when you run an open game where, you, where, you know, anybody can come in and join, um, is you get somebody who comes in who's excited, whose idea of what's going to be fun in this game is totally diametrically opposed to the the mood or the atmosphere that people have already set you know yeah. if you have this wonderfully tense victorian drama in, in a in, you know i guess in ontario there's a lot of steampunk larps <laughs> and someone who comes in just wants to kill people with his steam-powered weapons <laughs> that's going to be a problem yeah one thing that i came across on reddit how people have been laughing for a while and uh, it's like more experience-based can be quite jaded you know oh it's not worth the experience or let the newbies handle it or something and so like the stakes reduce for them so it talked about you know making stuff quite frightening like you said building up really like beloved npc and have them die the most horrible death or like waking up to entrails on your front porch or have one of the players be dragged off in the middle of the night things like that and on one hand, I had a lot of, I came across a lot of people who were like, oh, you know, it's so great to come away from like, like working hard all week and then I get to just get to unwind, have some fun doing LARPs. But on the other hand, a lot of it seems very serious. Like role playing is fun, but like part of it is like the immersiveness and the reality of the situation, even though, you know, it's a, it's a created, it's a created world among all of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's 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 a really weird balance of like you want to make it seem as real as possible to everyone so they feel the stakes i think that's definitely a part of it and i think that's part of why people turn to larp is because that immersiveness makes it easier to reward people with something other than gold and levels um you know uh, there's only so much you can do when the only reason your character does stuff is to get better items and become more powerful. Um, and having any kind of character that has other motivations or has means you can play with different carrots and different sticks. Yeah. So actually I found it through the research for the podcast that somebody has tried to conduct a census for LARPers and I came across two of them, but I didn't have time to compile the stats from the second one. The second one was better, and I will reference it. You can check it out if you like at LARPcensus.org. Uh, the other one that I, I found came from LARPing.org uh, on Radical the LARP Census, and it lists the different reasons that people have for, for LARPing. And uh, the whole carrot and the, the stick thing, 
the whole like reward system doesn't really come up. Like, so storytelling was the top reason at 18%, followed by friendship at 16%, entertainment at 14, immersion at 13, combat at 12, escapism all the way down at 9, wow. imagination at 8, Ooh. and other at 7. And it doesn't list what the other ones are. But like, it seems like people fundamentally aren't doing LARPs in the interest of, oh man, I'm going to get better loot or anything like that. I mean, that could technically be entertainment for some people. It could, and it could be part of the yeah. storytelling. I mean, it could be rewarding for you to like spend this long time toiling to only rise up and destroy your oppressors and, and all that jazz, but, but, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's what it's about. But I mean, you know, it, like maybe less of an, an emphasis on give me them numbers <laughs> and more like the time I have yeah. put into this skill is paying off sort of thing, like in a way that you kind of live it. As somebody who writes, my priority has always been the story. And I guess I've always used LARPing as sort of a gateway drug to storytelling mm -hmm. in the sense that um, you get people involved who are, um, you know, who are there for the yeah. combat. Um, but then there are, there are, you know, there, it's not a wall to wall combat game where you, it's not like Munchkin where you kick open the monster, kill the dragon, take the treasure. And you have to ask, who is this guy when he's not mm -hmm. fighting? And uh, you get some, I mean, sometimes characters that are built to be, you know, really mathematical <laughs> combat monsters, um, you, you have to ask questions about. And what makes them interesting is when you put them in situations that they're not well spec to handle. Um, again, another thing that will be really, really um, familiar to people in various fandoms. Um, I think of the, the Firefly pilot in which... Um, you almost never see Jane in a fist fight with anybody because it's not dramatically interesting because he's gigantic and he just beats them. Um, you see Simon get in fist fights all the time because it's it builds tension. You don't you don't know if he's gonna win. Um, you see, um, anytime you see Jane in a situation that is you know, challenging and exciting, it's when he has to memorize something or when he has to do something highly technical or when he does something that you're really worried he's not going to succeed at. Um, it's like watching, you know, it's, there's something so satisfying about watching a Harrison Ford fist fight because he gets <laughs> hit so hard. He, um, um, he gets knocked on his ass. He takes punches better than he gives them. And that's... Uh, like the 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 tension is there the challenge is there and part of what's really interesting to people that build you know a character that is spec to do one thing once in a while you have to let them unload and do that thing and feel amazing at it but what is really exciting in terms of building tension and conflict is when you put them in a situation where that is not the skill that is being challenged <laughs> you can uh you know you can have the full the full plate armor and the plus three greatsword or something, but guess what? You have to carry those around now, and like <laughs> and like hang out and like have a snack and then like do everything, holding the weight of all that stuff that gives you all that strength and all that defense. Yeah, I mean, if you want to make a wizard not interesting, <laughs> um, you put him in a room with a swarming monster and he fireballs the room and it's it's uninteresting. If you want to make it, you know, put him in a situation where you really twist that player, put him in a bar fight in like a, a crowded dive bar where, you know, he's not holding his own very well 
and he knows he's got a fireball memorized, <laughs> but he, but you know, does he want to fill a 20 foot room with 20 feet of fire? Um, is that his solution? Or is there some other, you know, is his only other option to get knocked out in a bar fight? And is that preferable? And suddenly all this stuff, um, you ha you have a lot of, of characters that will, you know, sit on that fireball and not use the amazing thing that they can do and then have to play out what was it that, um, whatever they do, whether they drop that fireball or not. They have to play out, you know, the question of why they did or didn't. And that is, um, that's how I, I get the combat guys into thinking about the stories. And I say combat guys, I shouldn't gender it, but by and large, I imagine the people that are there for numbers-based violence um, <laughs> pro probably skew towards men. Um, the, gendered, the gendering in LARP is surprisingly more balanced than you would think but probably the people that build high math wizards to blow stuff up is probably still skewing male uh yeah i mean the same census kind of had that although it, it was more diverse than i ex expected it, it's about a 60 60 40 split well which is not terrible yeah that's more representative than i would think of many different fandoms that's true So far, we've talked a lot about the fantasy and the steampunk and uh, the vampire LARPs, um, but we haven't really talked much about reenactors like the SCA. I would separate the SCA from reenactors um, because they're not necessarily like there's a difference between people. I guess in the UK, you get reenactors, medieval yeah. reenactors. You get people that will reenact yeah. the Battle of Agincourt the way that people in the southern US do the Battle, mm -hmm. Battle of Gettysburg, right? Um in general, I think people do talk about the SCA as if they're a LARP, and I think people in the SCA generally do not. <laughs> um, I I don't know. I think there's a lot of crossover because I think that you have imaginative people who don't particularly care about um, how cool the things they do on the weekend mm -hmm. are. Um, so there's definitely some crossover. Um, but I think that I think the SCA is probably something much different in terms of um, they're also fascinated by medieval accuracy yes. in ways that do not lend themselves to um, the high drama of, especially like like when we think of fantasy, we're thinking of like like really deliciously inaccurate <laughs> oh, um, yeah. mashups of medievalness. Mm -hmm. um, and the... Uh, I don't know. It, it's it, it. There's a different set of priorities, and there's a different kind of. I mean, I guess people in the SCA have personas, yeah. but mostly they don't build characters that are widely deviant from themselves. Um, they they socialize with people who are those people um, in a slightly different context. In general, people who you know hang out in the SCA are actual friends. Um, people that hang out in a vampire game may or may not be trying to kill each other <laughs> in character. Um, that largely doesn't happen. Um, I wish I were more um, well-versed in the SCA so that I could have a better answer than just this awareness I have that they're generally... They generally resent being lumped in with okay. LARPers. 
Although, really, LARP is kind of the unpopular stepchild of the geekery world, so that might... I mean, everyone's a little unhappy being lumped in with LARPers. Really? You did mention the, you know, the, the Gettysburg reenactors early on, and I think that does have a certain amount of... Uh, um, it does have a certain resonance with LARPing. Uh, the other thing that is, like, super popular right now, and I've, I don't know where it came from or how it has suddenly exploded is the business of escape rooms. <gasps> oh, boy. <laughs> okay, I was... So I was yeah. in my room. In my room, I, for whatever reason, have a bunch of, like, puzzles and wait. a random <laughs> lock. And I was just like, wait, what if someone did, like, a practical-style LARP where you're in an escape room, but you literally had to pick <laughs> locks? And I was just like, that would be... You're, so, but you know that that's just my tangent. So I'm actually very curious where you were going with yours about escape rooms and you're, LARP. Yep. You're, ta- you're, you're talking to some escape room junkies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, uh, that's. I mean, essentially, um, I don't want to call it a gateway drug <laughs> because, again, like it's just such a shorthand to say that. But uh, people who enjoy escape rooms are effectively LARPing on a very low grade passive level. Mm-hmm. In that. Um, you know you can leave that. You know how do you get out of an escape room? You click the button and you tell them to come get you. It's not. It's it's yeah. not that hard. But it's it's like it's a simulated reality that you've all kind of like agreed. Yeah. You. you this but, is this is real right now. Yeah. And, and there's a there's a shared suspension of disbelief, which is all it really takes. Um, and usually every every escape room has a little story built into it. You know, this creepy doll belonged to the ghost of the girl that lived here. Um. I was in an escape room once with a bunch of guys that were, um, it was a heist yeah. room. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so <laughs> and you had, you know, you have 45 minutes, to, you're stuck in the museum, you have 45 minutes to get the jewel out of the case um, and get yeah. out of the room with it. And those are, those things are basically a, a form of LARPing. They're, they're an exercise in problem solving that is immersive. Mm-hmm. If you think of LARPing the way we, like, if you think of, foam bar for LARPing as, you know, a Final Fantasy game put into um, that you, you know, go and stand in in the real world. Um, It's like, I think of the the heist escape room as like one of those old school PC (laughs) games, Um, those PC puzzle games, like the CR King's Quest games that is just put into the real world. And it's just a, a puzzle that you solve from inside it. But I mean... The, the story element there is so rudimentary. Um, I al- I often wonder, because people that own an escape room business, there's substantial, like, there's substantial cost outlay in putting this place mm-hmm. together. And so they try and have, you know, a creepy nursery room and then a heist room and then uh, a murder mystery room. And, you know, they're, they're trying to have all these, di- like, a different flavor so that you- every room is distinct and you get a different experience every time you go. But I would I wonder what it would be like to have a series of, you know, escape room style puzzles where every room builds on something else in the series or in sequence or something where they all feed into one narrative. Uh, And that's again, that's something that's probably too ambitious to run because like it's a business. It has to make money. It's the business part that that lets that idea down, I think, because like Mm -hmm. some people would be interested, perhaps not enough. But as you say, it would be a great exercise in storytelling. Yeah, and there's so many different ways to tell stories. 
Um, and I think that part of what I like about, you know, so-called art LARP is that what they're really doing is they're just asking, what else can we do with this medium? Um, in a way that I hope will reflect on the mainstream. And you're getting that, like, we're getting this re into this revisionary age where even our superhero movies, um, we've done so many of them now that people are starting to say, I'm going to do this superhero movie like a mystery. I'm going to do this superhero movie like a heist film. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do this one like a buddy comedy. Um, and they, you know, they're, they're trying to introduce other elements into these things to keep them fresh. And so I can see someone taking the fantasy LARP or the horror LARP and adding, um, you know, is this going to be a post-apocalyptic survival horror thing? Is this going to be... Um, it's really hard to force a love story on people. Mm -hmm. Again, particularly because not everyone in that setting is going to be interested in that. And it's also like super weird if you have a zombie survival horror scenario and everybody has paired up by the end of it. <laughs> uh, by and large, that's the kind of thing that you really need to entrust to your players. Um, and if one, you know, if there's one like in-character couple that forms over the course of a game, that's enough to give the sense that that thing, that that can happen in the world mm. um, without it being a thing that is like expected of people that are super uncomfortable with that. Mm. Um, and yet it does, it's interesting how these these games, if you have enough people, run the gamut of, of genres within something under the, the stamp of fantasy. You know, some people fall in love with Tolkien because there's, epic battles and you know hordes of orcs to fight and some people just really like walking 40 miles <laughs> and i think that i mean that's the the beauty of it is that if you are somebody who is there for the outrageous costumes you get that if you're there because you just like weird languages you can get that um and i think a lot of the, the things that come out in a game are best left to the players and that's really what they contribute is they will tell you sometimes without speaking what they want to see more of mm -hmm. all right haven't talked around it about it up over it and under it uh z yes are you a future larper <laughs> do, do you mean that he's going to play a larp where he's from the future that is up to Ooh. him that is up to him okay <laughs> but if I'm playing a LARPer who's from the future, maybe I'm already playing that LARPer because I'm from the future. No, stop, oh, please. <laughs> it's a yes or no question, Z. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but but to get into it, I mean, it would be be really handy if there's like a short thing, something shorter than a whole weekend. Mm -hmm. Before the podcast, uh, the three of us were talking about, you know, researching LARPs and that sort of thing. And looking locally and apparently there is one in town that runs fairly short sessions i believe like sunday afternoons or something yeah yeah i'd be interested in checking that out what about yourself g are you well, a future larper i mean i love nothing more than an idea mm -hmm. and the idea of like here it is you're a character that you invented for an entire weekend in this in this crazy story in a forest where you're camping. I mean, it sounds like such an extreme and heightened sense of, of everything that it, it sounds really appealing. 
but I don't like being dirty very much. Um, <laughs> that may present a slight problem, and and the idea of, of being immersed in characters is terrifying and exhilarating at the same time. But uh, I'm morbidly curious. There, the local place in London did a panel at Four City Comic Con. Yeah, that was you know given the lowdown on LARP, yeah. uh, part of Underworld, mm-hmm. and they have like one day yeah. sessions. Well, like was dinners something yeah. like that. We can kind of get your feet wet. They also have like extensive FAQs for like if you are new, here are things you need to know. So like, yes, with a comma. That's definitely something I'm gonna look going to look mm-hmm. into more. Uh, how about yourself, T? Um, I want to go to a LARP that is less than a weekend and more than just some random thing at a con. I think it. I'm interested in LARPing in the same way that I I like playing D and D. Um, I would probably like something more practically oriented and something that I can just kind of like try out and isn't, I don't know, maybe fantasy isn't the best kind of LARP that I would like to get involved in. I also have a really hard time, um, I want to say dissociating, but that's not quite the right word. I have a hard time separating me from a character, even when I'm playing in D&D. I always end up kind of, I have a concept, but then I end up veering towards who I am as a person because I have a hard time separating that. So it'd have to be a LARP where I can, where it's just in a different setting, I guess. Hmm. I, I am interested, but it, I find it hard to uh, hard to approach. I'm a little bit disappointed, honestly, with the variety of LARPing opportunities that are on offer. I mean, in part because the um, the process of getting, especially getting into this where you're still very much in your own skin and very self-conscious about what you're doing, um, the process of... of you know, live action role playing is such a personal process that um, it's a whole lot easier to get people involved if you can find a story that is useful for them. Like if you're if you're joining an, a LARP that's in existence, it may fit, it may not. Um, you may have a completely different experience in one versus another. Um, what I would love to do is I would love to have a group of people and sit down with them and decide what kind of game they would like to play. Sort of build a, a bespoke game. Most people, I think, gravitate more easily to like three or four hours on a, on one night of the week. Seems to be um, a, a way that people can get regular experience, but not you know go super full immersion for a long period of time. I find it interesting that the supernatural vampire world has taken one half of the uh uh for one half of the larping world for people that like to be indoors and not get dirty and <laughs> and, and don't like to swing their own weapons and then the then the high fantasy um tolkien style elves and orcs world has taken over for people that like to go away for the weekend and hit each other and those are great things i but I'm sure there's more to be done with this genre of storytelling. And I would really love to explore what else you can do, what other stories can be told this way that can't be told in a novel form or in a film form. Luke, does that mean that you see yourself uh, heading back into the world of LARPing at any point? Um, at some point, yes. Um, it's tough. I've been spoiled because I've had... Um, some of the, the I've been a part of some of the greatest LARPing groups ever, and I've also had brushes with 
less good LARPing groups over my many years. And it's very difficult walking into something that doesn't feel healthy in the same way that a really good group does and feeling like it's um, it's something you want to put that same amount of time and care into. Um, but I would, I would say that, yes, I would, um, I would play again, I would run again, and it really is dependent on the people you're with and what those people want to explore together. Well, keep us posted and we will mm. keep the listener posted. Um, curious cause you're lo- you're local to us. So who knows? C has a spotlight to shine. Bet I do. I'm arresting it from T's <laughs> control as we speak. Oh no. <laughs> a spotlight. <laughs> and I am shining it on a little thing called the College of Wizardry. Ooh. I came across this. You came across it as well, T? Uh, it was mentioned in one of the articles that referenced the census. Oh, cool. Uh, the College of Wizardry is this LARP weekend in Poland where you sign up and you go there and from dinner time Thursday to breakfast on Sunday, you are part of a Harry Potter-esque uh, school of witchcraft and wizardry set in a medieval Polish castle. Starting on the Thursday night. Yeah. I'm doing the long oh, weekend. Yeah. Dang. Oh, yeah. The cost of this event. Co- I mentioned uh, Thursday dinner specifically and Sunday breakfast specifically because um, your lodging and your food are totally covered by the cost of this event. So it's like all inclusive for the most part. And Dang. what you do is, yeah, what the attendants there do is they take on a persona as a student of witchcraft and or wizardry. And then they attend classes. They are selected to represent one of five ancient houses. Uh, they can explore the castle, roam the grounds, meet the magical creatures living therein. Uh, the website also, as one of its as uh, one of its selling points, mentions perhaps that uh, players will also get involved in a little in-character romance. Ooh. Yeah. Is that a guarantee? It's not. It's it's got that perhaps out front, Ooh. so not quite okay, a guarantee. Okay. But they also mention that you'll be able to make new friends and form long lasting bonds with like minded people. Mm. Yeah. What what time of the year does it take place? It actually kind of takes place all year round in some sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I use that pretty broadly. Because there's a session there are two sessions in March. Uh, there are two sessions in May, two sessions in November, and then there's one session in December. And already for the uh, the sessions in March in 2017, they're sold out. All right, well, I'm, I'm going for May, so <laughs> screw this podcast. <laughs> I'm going to go live in that castle, I guess. <laughs> uh... <laughs> that answers one of my questions, I guess, that I was sort of have been asking myself about you know what other kinds of stories could be told in this venue and there is a um the jk rowling has created with the harry potter books a new genre basically a new 
kind of subgenre of spec fiction and nobody has done that in a LARP context. That seems like a really good answer to that question. There is a world that people would be um, willing to explore. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, like, even just looking at, you know, various franchises, like, you know, what would a Mad Max LARP look like? (laughs) Um, How insane would that be if you, you know, you had, you know, like nine or ten, you make everybody sign an insurance waiver for thing. But uh, you have nine or ten on-site mechanics. Have, have I got some um, news for you? I think <laughs> there's apparently a thing called Wasteland Weekend, which is, is it uh, in Australia. Uh, let me check. Wasteland Weekend. Go into the website. September. Oh, it hasn't been in existence for a while. Oh dang! <laughs> Probably an insurance thing. Yeah. yeah, it was the world's largest post-apocalyptic festival, and it looks pretty Mad Maxian. Oh no! It will return in twenty seventeen. Oh man! Sign sign me <laughs> up. Um, but but I mean, there's this this wonderful question about you know what kind of stories are we interested in telling? Um, this is a very timely occasion on which to mention that nobody has done a substantially large Star Wars LARP. What would that even be like? Um, would it have to be licensed? Maybe, but a space opera LARP uh, would not. Um, I mean, Star Wars already has like the five zero first for the stormtroopers, so I I can see some avenue for that working out yeah um and i mean even just like other things in the hard sci-fi um world hasn't been done and i mean it lends itself well to certain things because if you put everybody on one starship suddenly um there's a reason why they're all in the same confined space week after week um that's one of the great hurdles of building a larp is asking why are all these people if they have you know, interplayer drama or intercharacter drama, why do they continue to hang out together week after week? <laughs> and so something that puts them in a captive space, like stuck on the same starship, um, builds that into that formula really well. Mm-hmm. Luke, while you were here on the podcast, is there anything that you would like to plug? Um, I have a short story in Cthulhu Sattva, Tales of the Black Gnosis, which was a uh, uh, an anthology of Lovecraftian short fiction put out by Martian Migraine Press. It's uh, It was very, very briefly a number two Amazon oh. bestseller in the horror anthology sub-subgenre oh, of dang. ebook. Um, mm-hmm. It was... Uh, it's probably the, the, the most exciting thing i've been part of as a writer in a long time so uh, and it's the one that is actually getting really positive reviews and i'm in there with other people <laughs> that are vastly more talented wow. than me so i would plug cthulhu sattva just because um they're really great and i'm in it <laughs> also and um it's the only thing that i can plug um fully honestly as something that is really amazing because i get to praise the work of all the people that are in there. It's a good little book, and it's uh, surprisingly cheap, I think, on Amazon if you float over in that direction, or you can buy it directly from Martian Migraine Press. They have a website if you're doing um, hard copy or ebooks, and I think they uh, may or may not get a bigger slice of the pie if you get it from them. So I would say check out the Martian Migraine Press website. Uh, if you want to support a little indie Canadian publisher, 
I think we all do. Yeah. All right. As always, uh, you can find us at our website, fanthropological.com. You can find us on iTunes. Be sure while you're there to subscribe or leave a rating. Uh, we'd love we'd love to hear from you and 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 just what you think of us. Um, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at the Nixcast. No MySpace page. Uh, we do not have a MySpace page yet. <laughs> Alas. Um, we're saving that for when we get a little bigger. Yeah. But uh, yeah, all at the Nixcast, and you can uh, follow us to see what what other kind of video content we're putting out, and uh, to keep up to date on the episodes that we have coming out. If you don't see your fandom represented, or you have a fandom you don't know anything about and you'd like to hear us explain it to you, uh, nick at thenixcast.com is where you can send uh, those those queries and those topics. Thank you, Luke, for coming on yeah, today. Thanks, Luke. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. We, we really, really appreciate your, your inside information. Mm-hmm. Thanks for putting up with us. And <laughs> to you, the listener at home, thank you for putting up with us. Uh, we'll talk to you next time on Phanthropological. Next week on Phanthropological, hop in your power wheels drive to your dream house and put on the chicest fashions because we're talking about Barbie. nixcast.com is where you can send uh, those those queries and those topics did i miss anything well you forgot to thank luke for taking the time to chat with us i'm not done yet oh well i'm finally. talking about our plugs <laughs> oh well okay then no that's all the plugs okay as long as you mentioned right. phantophological.com as well that's i believe that i did but did you mention what, voices.com i wouldn't i didn't i didn't mention voices.com yet but i think it i think it deserves a mention <laughs> Gotta say it ten times. Yep, ten times. No, you anyway, got all the plugs. Uh, thank you, Luke, for coming on today.